0: We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start at verse 16 and go through the remainder of the chapter. When we finished up last week, basically, Paul was telling Timothy that you need to stay focused. How many sometimes struggle staying focused in your life or in your job, right? It's important, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Stay focused. What did we say last week? Keep the main thing, uh, the main thing, right? And so that's kind of what they, uh, Timothy and Paul, uh, in this conversation, this letter to Timothy, uh, that's kind of where where we ended last week, so, and there's a price for not staying focused. He says, but shame, profane, and idle badness, shun it, for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Pilatus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Paul is saying that you need to keep the main thing, the main thing to Timothy. He's still continuing on that thought. You've got to stay focused. Because when you get off of that and you go on to profane and idle babblings, then something begins to happen to those who are hearing the, the message. It overthrows some some of their faith. That's what he's saying. Shun the profane and idle babblings. Those are unholy in contrast to the holiness of God's word. Uh, so we're, we're supposed to remain on... The word of God. Those idle babblings may be interesting, but they don't have the value that the word of God. Having knows that the word of God is extremely valuable. It, it just really is. The word of God is powerful. Uh, it's sharp. It's quick. It speaks into our lives. It makes a difference. That's the reason why every Sunday morning, you know, we get up and we say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. You know, we rehearse that because what we're doing is that we're adding emphasis to the word of God to say, this is important, so I'm going to pay attention, I'm going to be changed by it, uh, I'm going to be what it says I'm, I am and all those kinds of things. So, uh, And he gives an example of two men uh, who gotten off track Hymenaeus and Philetus and they were mentioned in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 20 actually so this is not the first time that Hymenaeus in particular has been mentioned and in that chapter 1 Timothy Paul said they delivered him to Satan that he might not learn to blaspheme so it doesn't sound like Hymenaeus is uh, doing well learning not to, to blaspheme uh, and that he's kind of fallen off track there. Paul is telling Timothy, he's giving them some real life examples. Look, you don't want to be like these men who got off track and concentrating on these vain and idle babblings, but you want to concentrate on the word of God. Paul told Timothy to preach the word, right? Not everything else but just the word. And that's important. They had strayed from the truth. So, if somebody strayed from the truth, that means initially they were in the truth, listening to the truth, and a part of the truth. But here they had uh, strayed from the truth, uh, from that correct position. I mean, it knows that the Word of God is kind of like a, a compass to us. But no matter how you flip or turn a compass, it always points which way—north, right? It says it's called true north. Uh, so it's important that we stay with the truth, and the truth is, is God's word. And so, what in particular were they saying that was incorrect? That was not the truth. They're saying something about the resurrection. What were they saying about the? Already happened. They're not talking about the resurrection of Christ because that did happen, right? And that's the promise that we will be resurrected. What he's talking about is the day of the Lord when the Lord returns. By the way, that's in 1 Thessalonians where it talks about when the Lord returns and he says, Don't worry about those who have died because. You're not going to go before them, but the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who remain will be caught up to meet them. So he's talking about that day of the Lord and that particular resurrection of the dead, those who have known Christ as their Savior, and then when Christ returns, they'll be raised. I talked to a young man the other day in Kroger. And he was trying to show me that, you know, we, the, the, the tribulation had already taken place and that, uh, you know, we were in the millennium. And I said, well, I read my Bible pretty closely and I think it'd be a lot worse than it is right now if we already went through the tribulation. It's continuing to get worse though, right? Uh, so it's interesting. They were saying it's already passed. We're already in the millennial kingdom. Uh, there's no coming resurrection. All of that has already occurred. That's what they're saying. And because of that, imagine what that would be due to young Christians who hadn't studied the Word and hadn't been taught and hadn't been discipled. Get them off track, right? And well, if it's already happened. Well, why do I need Jesus, right? We're already in the millennium, if that was true, right? It's not, but if that was true. And so it says that the result of that was that some of their, that it was overthrow of the faith of some. Uh, so some were not trusting in the Lord. They thought it was too late. The, the Lord had already returned, That you know, all those kinds of things. And so uh, it's an error. A belief and a strange one, and it abandons what Jesus had taught. Let's read verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. That's some good news. God is solid. He is founded. You can trust in Him. He's not wishy-washy back and forth. There's a solid foundation of God that stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Solid foundation, uh, even if the enemy might attack, even though there may be a tide of deception in the world, those who know the Lord, there's a strong foundation for us, right? Uh, it, it's important for us. And there's two things it says are seals of the solid foundation of god number one the lord knows those who are his you can find if you wanted to go look at numbers chapter 16 verse 5 you would see a similar phrase there the lord knows those who are his we we are his children we are his ones that he loved and has saved and then secondly there it says Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So when you get saved, when you know the Lord, it's not licensed to live however you want to. There's no license here. It's not saying just go out and do whatever you want to. It's saying depart from iniquity. Iniquity is a sinful lifestyle. The Lord forgives us of our sins and of our iniquities. The Lord knows those who are his, but we don't always, do we? Who judges that? He does, right? It's a good thing that I'm not the judge, because uh, we may rule some out that the Lord would say are in. and We may you know, say some are in, that the Lord might rule out, because we don't know people's heart, do we? You know, it's just the Lord that knows that. We can know for ourselves. Did you know you can know that you're saved? Romans 8 16, which we didn't, it was not too long ago that we studied this, says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we're children of God. So you can have this internal witness, which is the Holy Spirit inside of you, that lets you know that you're a child of God. Have, have you ever met somebody when you ask them if they're saved well, well I think so, hope so, maybe so but that's not what the Bible says right we can know there's a witness the Holy Spirit is a witness, it, it gives us a knowledge that we are God's children God's not sitting up there in heaven going I wonder if this one will be saved or that one won't be uh, God knows, amen? He lo- knows those who are his. We, as his children, are told to depart from iniquity. What does that look like? How do you depart from iniquity? Don't do the things you used to do, okay? What else? Having your life down under the blood of Christ, obviously. But that means that is it does take some action on our part. Now, God's blood covers it, but then we shouldn't go places that we shouldn't and do things that we shouldn't, right? Because we're supposed to depart from that. The the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, teaches us, and I believe convicts us whenever we do wrong. You know, we talk about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And many times we think that it's just for sinners, but it's not. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of what we haven't done or should do. You know, you can commit sin by, by committing or omitting to do something. There's a solid foundation of God in standing. He's not changing. That's kind of the comparison contrast. That's going on in this chapter. Because he said hey. Hyminius, Melanus yes. They're an example of those who didn't stay focused. But now. When you trust in the Lord. He is the same. I mean, it knows that he's the same. Yesterday. Today. Forever. There's a sure foundation. Uh, of the Lord. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. Talking about vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. In every great house, it says, there are vessels of gold and silver, also vessels of wood and clay. So, how many knows the difference, right? Uh, if you had a vessel of silver and gold, it's more pricely, more pure, more holy, more holy for the Lord to use than wood. And uh, clay, these vessels of gold and silver, some of them are used for honor, and some are for wooden clay, some are for dishonor. In the Jewish home, there they have pots. Some of those are used for cooking and clean water, and then some are used to put in refuse or trash. And to throw it out, right? Or water that has been used, right? Maybe water you've washed your hands in uh, that might be dirty. Uh, and so he's making a comparison here. And he's saying that some of those are useful in the house, around the table, certain, you know, to serve the house. And some are not vessels of honor, they're vessels of dishonor. Again, yeah, a process here that we need to cleanse ourselves. Cleansing so that we can serve the Lord. What does that mean? How do you cleanse yourself to serve the Lord? Repent, yeah, absolutely. As for forgiveness, obviously, yes. How else do you do it? Absolutely. It is with His help, but we still have some responsibility here, right? Because it says, cleanse. Yourself. See, God does a cleansing for our sins. We can't clean up our sins, right? What can we do? We can turn them over to the Lord. We can begin to live right. We can avoid or turn away from, but there's also just, you know, it's not this general cleansing, but a self cleansing that's for service. I remember in the Old Testament it says, those who have a have clean hands and a pure heart can approach God's holy city so there, there's, there's something here I think there's avoidance of going places and doing did th- you know in the Old Testament that if a, if a priest was around a dead person they were considered unclean Kinds of things about clean and unclean, so there is this responsibility as well uh, for us, as well as this general cleansing from our sin that God does for us. Uh, You know, how what does that look like? How do we how do we do that? How do we abstain from things that God uh, that would maybe make us not fit, or at least for a time, to serve the Lord. How, how are we doing those? She said they override yes, their conscience. And they get a condition like what the Bible talks about, about having a seared conscience. In other words, uh, we've allowed that particular sin to continue and continue and continue. And then it's like having a callous there where we're not even understanding We're necessarily, I, I, I think we still have an understanding, but there's just a callousness to this where it's like, eh, I've done this before, you know. But we want to be, no matter uh, what, we want to be sanctified and useful. What does the word sanctified mean? Separated. Set apart. Back back a few years ago when I was a kid, everybody would stand up and testify and they'd say, oh, thank God I'm saved and sanctified. Filled with the Holy Ghost. How many remember that? There is a work of sanctification. And what does sanctification look like? Sanctification is both instantaneous and a process. So when you get saved, God sanctifies you, which makes you right before Him, but yet then He continues to work to make you what He wants you to be. And so that's this process of uh, sanctification, which is making you useful for the Lord. It's setting you apart. It's preparing you, as it says here, for every good work. Not that any of us ever become perfect, but when you first get saved, uh, if you were to use the analogy of like a, a carpenter, might, you might be a little rough around the edges, right? But God begins to sanctify begins to change you and develop you and make you useful for his kingdom. That does not mean that you are better than somebody else, right? That means God's still working on them and he's still working on you. Remember that little song that said, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be? Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars, but he's still Working on me. I don't know that's a great song because it sure says that we're awful stubborn and it's taking God (laughs) that long to work on us, but God has a sanctifying work that He's doing for us. He's preparing us to serve in His kingdom. No, He did not. He said, Let it be, and they were there, right? Let's skip down to verse 22, 23. I believe we see a little bit here of what Paul is talking about about how to cleanse yourself. A little bit. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate (coughs) strife. Do you see what I see here? There's certain things that you flee and avoid, and then those other things that you're to pursue. So the cleansing of ourself is not just, I'm getting rid of this, and I'm cutting this off, and I'm never going there again, or I'm not doing this again. But the cleansing of ourself also has to do with that we pursue God, that we pursue righteousness, that we pursue uh, the faith, the love, the peace uh, that we pursue those, that's what this is saying here out of a pure heart right? So uh, avoid youthful lust. We don't know how old Timothy was, but we do know that he was merely a boy Whenever Paul began to tutor him, began to develop him, because Paul refers to him uh, as a son, we know that he's older than him, but also, although that's not necessarily always the case, you can have a spiritual son that is older than you, or a spiritual daughter that is older than you, just not older than you age-wise, but not in relationship with the Lord but here we, we, we don't know how old Paul was, we don't know how old Timothy is uh, but we do know that there is an age difference here and he's saying flee those youthful lusts don't entertain them sometimes the most holy thing you can do is avoid certain things in certain places and uh, kind of be like the, the little monkeys hear no evil and see no evil and Say no, evil, right? Uh, Sometimes that's the best thing that we can do to avoid and flee those youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Don't just avoid, but pursue. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Hmm. You ever been around somebody that just likes to argue? And the answers don't really even mean anything. I mean, some people just like to argue and dispute about things that have no real value. It's true. He's saying, Timothy, don't do that. Don't get caught up in that. Why? It's not a godly thing. And causes strife, causes stress, distracting, right? Here, uh, this whole chapter is really Paul say, Timothy, you gotta stay focused. Don't look at vain and idle babblings. Don't pursue youthful lusts. Don't listen to all those disputes and everything. But stay focused. I think this is an awesome message for us right now. I mean, there are so many things that you can get distracted by, and, and it is harder than it sounds. Yeah, it's not that easy. This world is distracting and crazy and we're seeing stuff that we haven't seen ever we can't get distracted by all of that Let's stay focused on the Lord and we do that by pursuing God and those godly characteristics that he gives to us some of those are fruits of the spirit love is one of those fruits of the spirit uh, so we're to pursue God, don't uh, participate in ignorant disputes. A lot of people just, just distract. Them. So you gotta, you got to learn who to listen to and who not to listen to. Look at verses 24 through 26. So what kind of attitude can God use? What kind of attitude do you want to have in order for God uh, to use you? So it says, and as a servant of the Lord and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. What does that mean? Don't fight. Don't bicker. Don't argue. Right? Don't quarrel but be gentle to all. Able to teach. Patient. Whew, that's a hard word right there. Patient in humility correcting those who are in opposition. So it doesn't say just listen to everything and don't do anything, there is, does come a time that we humbly oppose incorrect teaching or in people who are trying to do something that's incorrect. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So, these are all attributes or things that are attitudes that we're to have in order to be useful to the Lord. We're to not be quarrelsome, but gentle. That means we're not looking for an argument, we're not looking for a fight. I tell you what, sometimes you open up Facebook and that's all you see is fights. I mean, it's just crazy. And I guarantee you, some of those people would not say those things in person with that person in front of them. So we're not to be quarrelsome, but gentle. We're to be like doves. We're to be peaceful, gentle, able to teach. You talk about all these things that people say and they're quarrelsome and they're uh, disputes and all this kind of thing you need to know what's correct and what's not correct in order to humbly teach, right? That's what this setting is about. What does the Bible say about uh, this? What does the Bible say about that? So that we can humbly, and humility, is the next thing, correct those who are in opposition. So our demeanor must be one that will hopefully not push people away that they would be drawn to the Lord because of our character and our nature and that hopefully they'll come to repentance. That's what this is saying. I've never seen anybody one to the Lord with screaming and shouting and acting all crazy. Now, there's a time to oppose something that's not the truth. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying our attitude, as Carol just said, uh, makes a big difference. So that they'll come to repentance, so that they will come to their senses. Does that phrase remind you of anything else in the Bible? Maybe a parable that Jesus taught about coming prodigal son who came to his senses. Right. What happened to the prodigal son is he went and done his own thing. He spent his money. He lived wildly and and uh, did all these things, and then. Came to his senses. Did somebody help him get there? No, the Bible doesn't tell us, does it? God uses us sometimes to speak a word into people's lives at just the right time. Yeah, if we don't watch it, we can have a forceful attitude towards people. People are won to the Lord by His goodness and His mercy. He is a God of judgment. And All of those things, but he is one. The people are one to the Lord by his grace, his mercy, uh, and we're to be those people. My experience says at times it's really difficult for those who are really close to that person to speak that word sometimes. And then God places people in their lives that they can receive it from. It says here, so we're, we're have, we have these attitudes, these things in our life so that it brings people to repentance so that they can know the truth. So it says, so that they can come to their senses. The only way to come to your senses is to discover the truth. Because the truth for the prodigal, what he thought was truth, was that I can take all of this money, I can live however I want to, and I'll never have to pay he for it. That wasn't true, sure was it? So that they will escape the snare of the devil. Another that a picture? The devil's, he really is out to get people. Right? To snare them. To, a, a snare is something that was used to capture and trap little animals. Carol's dad used to, <coughs> used to set traps for Coons and all kinds of stuff. If it was it coons? I don't remember what it was, but I remember him talking about setting traps for uh, different little little animals and stuff. So that's what the, the devil tries to do, right? Entrap us, ensnare us, take us captive. All this is instruction for Timothy to that he would develop and become a vessel that God could use in an even greater way. Isn't that what we really want anyway? Uh, Is that God would use us in a greater way. Uh, That there would be nothing about us that would hinder God from using us. Because the issue is that if we do live a lifestyle and do things that would prevent God from using us, then there are people who are going to miss out that need to know the Lord. It's important for uh this, this to happen so that they'll know the truth, they'll come to their senses, and they won't be taken captive uh, by the enemy. Be a vessel of honor. Clean. Empty. Have you ever heard someone say, and I think this is there's some truth to it, uh, that in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you must first be emptied. I think there is some truth to that. Uh, and these uh, to be a vessel of honor, one that the Holy Spirit would come into us and that we would, he would work with us and, and, and do all of these things that we must not be full of the world and all of its mentalities and all of its systems, but be cleaned by the Lord. You don't hear a lot about living a clean life anymore. But I think we need to. We need to live a clean life. Because people see it, but most of all, we want to be usable by the Lord. So would you use a dirty plate in your house to serve a guests? Not on purpose, would you? Yep. You wouldn't use a dirty fork? Here, it's it's good. I I licked it off. You wouldn't use something that wasn't clean, would you? Right? How much more the Lord wants us to be clean vessels, vessels of honor, vessels that he could use us for his kingdom uh, and help people to escape the trap of the devil. More about the internal than the external. Though I do think there are some standards that to keep from an external standpoint uh, but uh, it's more about the internal the character and the nature that's what distinguishes between a vessel of honor that can be used in a vessel of dishonor that, that the Lord won't use alright let's look at these questions real quick so according to question 1 verse 17 how do profane and idle battlings spread like a cancer. That's pretty fast, isn't it? Question two, according to verse 18, why, or not why, but what did Hymenaeus and Pilatus say had already passed? Resurrection. Question three, hopefully you found this, verse 19, what two seals form the solid foundation of God? The Lord knows those who are his, and then let every one who names the name of the Lord of Christ depart from an evil. Question four, verse twenty-one: What kind of vessel is sanctified and useful? Vessel, along right. Question five, according to verse twenty-two and twenty-three, we are to cleanse ourselves by fleeing youthful lust. And avoiding foolish and ignorant disputes. Correct. In cleansing ourselves, what are we to pursue? Righteousness, faith, faith love, and peace. Question seven. What characteristics does the servant of the Lord have? According to verse 24 25. Not quarrelsome, gentle. Able to teach, patient, humble. Question eight, according to verse 25 and 26. What is the goal of correcting those in opposition to the gospel? So that they will what? Come to their senses and that they'll repent and escape from the devil, right?